sending messages of support uh, really meant a lot to us. A message from Michael Kovrig after embracing his family and what the release of the two Michaels says about China-Canada relations. Plus, the schools in general need to, need to be treated the same way we're treating long-term care facilities. The growing concern and calls for more measures to protect students in schools and... I was already feeling like I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what. How an Indigenous artist is carving a 2,500-pound monument to honour residential school survivors. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The saga involving the two Michaels and Meng Wanzhou is officially over. Detained Canadians Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor returned to Canada today. Around the same time, Chinese executive Meng Wanzhou landed to much fanfare in Shenzhen, China. Paul Johnson begins our coverage tonight with what this ordeal really means for tense China-Canada relations. I didn't know most of what was happening in the outside world, but... All the, the, the knowing that so many Canadians and others were aware of our situation and sending messages of support uh, really meant a lot to us. So thank you. Thank everybody for that. Finally, home. In some of his first comments since getting released from a Chinese prison, Michael Kovrig took comfort in his reunion with loved ones. The breathtaking speed of the return of Kovrig and Michael Spavor had all the feel of a prisoner exchange from a spy novel, confirming that the detention of the two Michaels was most certainly what many suspected, hostage diplomacy, with a release brokered at the highest levels and in exchange for this. On a tarmac in southern China, the pomp and ceremony at Meng Wanzhou's arrival underscored her status as not just a business executive who'd gotten into legal trouble overseas, but a national icon whose prosecution confirmed their view that the West is threatened by China's growing power and the success of their leading tech company. Meng said it was good to return to the motherland, and thank those who made it happen, including a shout-out to the ruling Communist Party. Meng's release was made possible by a deal with U.S. prosecutors where she was allowed to plead not guilty, but had to admit to doing some of what she was accused of in a statement of facts. It's certainly been a low point in terms of, of the last couple of years of uh, Canada-China relations, um, and there is a lot of repair work that that needs to be done. Observers expect many Canadians will be justifiably angry with Chinese leadership for some time and point out that given the comparatively humane treatment that Meng Wanzhou got in Vancouver, history will likely judge Canada as the country least tarnished by the affair. Canada upheld strictly its extradition treaty with the U.S. and its rule of law procedures. There was no political intervention. But history also has no guarantee for fairness. So in a confrontation between Washington, D.C. and Beijing, it ended up being two Canadian men who suffered the most. Paul Johnson, Global News. And for more from the Kovrig family, tune in to Sunday's The West Block with Mercedes Stevenson. 
A lower mainland couple who have a sense of what the two Michaels went through say it will take time for them to readjust to life at home. Kevin and Julia Garrett were arrested in 2014 and spent two years locked in a Chinese prison on espionage charges. They had lived in China since 1984 and operated a coffee house while doing Christian aid work. Their arrest was largely seen as retaliation for the Canadian arrest of a suspected spy. They say Kovrig and Spaver will be happy to be back home. I think, I mean, I know for me, um, I thought everything would be normal when I got back, but it, it wasn't. And I, I really, I remember uh, it was 18 months later that I kind of woke up one morning and thought, I think I feel normal. But I didn't really know I wasn't normal before. And it takes that long to kind of, you're doing things, you can go out, you can meet people, things like that. You can do all that stuff, but there's not a normal feeling for some quite some time. But he still does funny things like fold up his pajamas in like these neat little squares and stick them on the end of the bed. And I thought like, you know, those are the things they don't matter if they change, but they're still kind of funny now looking back. You got into those routines. And so there will also be yeah. these automatic routines that mm -hmm. you have to decide, am I going to keep this or change? And some don't matter. Some really matter. And so far, the only comment from the U.S. government on the release of the two Michaels came late Friday from Secretary of State Antony Blinken. It reads, the U.S. government stands with the international community in welcoming the decision by People's Republic of China authorities to release Canadian citizens Michael Spaver and Michael Kovrig after more than two and a half years of arbitrary detention. We are pleased that they're returning home to Canada. Now, images from Flight Radar 24 giving fresh insight into how much Meng Wanzhou wanted to avoid United States airspace. Shortly after departure, her charter flight made a right-hand turn. This was an unusual procedure. Normally, a plane from Vancouver to China would more or less hug the coastline, flying over Alaska, Japan, and into China. But Meng Wanzhou flew a different route, passing almost over Yellowknife and the North Pole before flying over Siberia, Mongolia, and into China. Why? Well, the U.S. controls most of the North Pacific airspace from Haida Gwaii to the Bering Strait. Now to the COVID-19 pandemic and more calls for increased safety measures for children in B.C. schools. That follows yet another outbreak at a lower mainland school this week as the province prepares to go along with parents' demands for a notification plan of any new cases in schools. Amadagahi reports. When students come back to Maple Ridge Christian School on Monday morning, missing from class will be all children from kindergarten through grade 5. Because the private school is hit hard by what is now officially determined to be a COVID-19 outbreak. Of so far, up to 32 cases mainly affecting students. But once we were starting to see additional spread outside of those household groupings, and, and there were a few of those involved, uh, as well as the speed at which the number started to rise, uh, not just the sheer number of it, but the, the, uh, the speed at which it rose and how it was uh, clustered amongst these uh, select grades and seemed to uh, cross from one grade to another. That's what really prompted the uh, outbreak declaration. This comes on the same week. Another outbreak at an elementary school in Chilliwack is keeping all students at home. And Global News also reporting 20 cases at a school in Victoria. Two weeks into the new school year, and the data is taking shape. Cases of the virus among children under nine has increased, putting some parents on edge. I, like many other parents, are concerned. Uh, we're wondering if 
we have a similar situation in our school, whether their safety protocols are sufficient. From the beginning, many parents and teachers felt uneasy about the way the government in BC had planned the school year. Specifically, the decision not to mandate kids from K to 3 to wear masks at all times. And now in the percentage of all COVID-19 cases, kids in that age group have gone up from 9 to 18 percent. My biggest fear is that we'll continue to be reactive, we'll continue to always put in measures uh, a little too late. The province has agreed to bring back public notifications of COVID infection inside schools as early as next week, but it's not clear yet what that will look like. Meanwhile, parents continue to ask for tighter mask requirements and the option to have their kids learn from home. Emadagahi, Global News. A Kelowna woman has been identified as the victim of a suspicious death in the Okanagan last week. The body of 41-year-old Crystal Moyen was discovered just after 7 last Sunday morning near the intersection of Highway 33 and Nickel Road in Kelowna's Rutland neighbourhood. Moyen's death is believed to be suspicious. Police are working to establish a timeline as they investigate the circumstances surrounding her death. Anyone who saw or spoke with Moyen last Saturday night or Sunday morning or who has a dash cam video from the area is asked to contact Kelowna RCMP. Family members and friends of a Penticton man who was killed in a possible case of mistaken identity in Kamloops more than two years ago, honoring his memory today with a charity ride. Darian Matassa-Fung has the story. The third annual Rex Gill Memorial Ride took place on Saturday, seeing over 60 motorcyclists ride from Penticton to Kelowna. The Memorial Ride is to raise awareness about the unsolved homicide of Rex Gill, a 41-year-old Penticton man that was shot outside of a hotel in Kamloops on the morning of January 23rd in 2019. Police have said it may have been a case of mistaken identity. Just gentle reminder too. Everybody that, you know, he's still alive and well with us. We just need to keep, keep him in the headlines. Rex's brother, Art, rode his late brother's motorcycle for the fundraiser, an extremely emotional day for the family. It's really hard. It's emotional. Uh, once again, uh, it, it's, it's tough to ride. Uh, you know, I, I own the same bike, exactly the same, but... Riding my brother's bike is different. It's like he's with me all the time. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard. Kamloops RCMP says the investigation is still ongoing. The investigations into the murders of Cody Matthew and Rex Gill continue to be a priority for the Kamloops Detachment Serious Crime Unit, with investigators working on these files on an almost a daily basis. While there have been no arrests to date, investigators are confident that the progress that continues to be made, there will be a successful conclusion to these files down the road. Rex's brother says their family is waiting for a development in Rex's case. There's no closure to this until somebody is arrested and somebody is in jail for this. The ride is also a charity event. Over $2,000 were donated to Penticton Friendship Center, the Central Okanagan Food Bank, and Kelowna's Gospel Mission, something that Rex's mother says would have made her son proud. He would be ecstatic. He'd be popping wheelies up there. Him and Mike would be popping wheelies and ripping strips. <laughs> 
The memorial ride is also in memory of Trout Creek's Mike Edward Courtney. He lost his life in last year's memorial ride due to mechanical failure on his motorcycle. Darian Matasa-Fung, Global News. The police search at the home of Langley woman reported missing nearly a month ago has wrapped up. Police tape has come down and several barricades have been moved to the side of the property of Naomi Onatera in Brookswood after an extensive search over the past two weeks. Members of the integrated homicide investigation team have been called in to assist Langley RCMP's serious crime section. The 40-year-old teacher and mother was last seen leaving her home on August 28th. RCMP have been asking the public to study a photo of Onatera's 2018 Subaru Crosstrek. Even though it has been reported that she left without her vehicle, investigators have been trying to establish a timeline for all of her actions starting on August 25th. And a tragic end to the extensive search in Squamish for a missing 15-year-old boy. Richie Stelmack was last seen at his home on Wednesday morning. He disappeared wearing no more than his pajamas. A massive search involving local emergency crews and volunteers was launched as they scoured the neighborhood and surrounding areas. Sadly, just after 10.30 this morning, search teams located his body in Garibaldi Highlands. Police say foul play is not suspected. Living in a small town, obviously, this is a difficult situation for everybody, but I'm really proud of the way our team and the Squamish Fire Department, the Ambulance Service, the RCMP, Marine SAR, all of our emergency response teams came together for one common goal, and that goal was always to bring Richie home. And we, although we wish the circumstances were better, we're, we are pleased with the fact that we were able to, to bring this young man home to his family. Trans Mountain Pipeline protesters living in tree houses blocking the path of the project were visited by supporters today. We brought a tour of people in who wanted to visit the tree sit and bring food to the peaceful protesters. The environmental group Protect the Planet Stop TMX says after six arrests this week, the so-called tree sitters have garnered more attention. Volunteers have been taking turns occupying wood structures in the trees for over a year in an effort to stop tree clearing for pipeline construction. The project will twin the existing pipeline and increase the amount of petroleum it carries from Alberta to B.C. SFU professor and retired physician Dr. Tim Takaro is among the leaders of the group. He says the project is Canada's most egregious act in increasing emissions contributing to climate change. We already have the capacity to deliver those products and everywhere in the world the demand is going down. So this project is not only an environmental disaster, it's also an economic disaster for Canadians. Officers temporarily closed some streets in East Vancouver after a suspicious discovery. Vancouver police say a witness noticed what appeared to be a grenade on the curb in the area of Commercial Drive and Venable Street at about 11 this morning. Patrol officers, along with the VPD's emergency response team, attended and closed all surrounding streets as a precaution. It turns out the object was an inert, non-functional grenade. It was seized for destruction, and police say there is no threat to public safety. 
Well, just days into fall and some of the worst weather of the season is about to arrive on our doorstep on the south coast. Let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell now for more on what we can expect starting tomorrow. Yvonne. Yeah, right on time. Our first weekend of fall and we've got a storm for tomorrow. And here's what we're going to be tracking. This week, this frontal system is going to gain uh, a strength rather. And we've got heavy rain that is going to move in. It picks up in the morning hours and then it continues all the way in towards the evening. Now, the following areas along the south coast, this is where we've got a rainfall warning for Metro Vancouver. It's along the north shore, the northeastern areas, Howe Sound and the eastern edge of the island. 15 up to 70 millimeters of rainfall. So along the north shore, both north and west Vancouver, the city of Vancouver, Burnaby, New West, Coquitlam and Maple Ridge all included within that. It'll be paired with very windy conditions southeasterly, 40 and up to 60 kilometers per hour. We are also going to track the system as it moves in towards the interior. More coming up very shortly. Nithu? Wow. Okay. Thanks so much for that, Yvonne. And after the break, fears about flu season. We may see a stronger effect of the flu. Why health officials are bracing for a more severe flu season and their warnings amid rising COVID-19 cases. Plus, a tangled elk taken to safety and the message from conservation officers to homeowners. We have some breaking news. The homicide team is investigating a new case in Maple Ridge. Just before 1.30 this morning, first responders were called to a vehicle fire at the intersection of Park Lane and Vernon Trail. Once the flames were put out, a body was found inside the pickup truck. IHIT says it's too early to tell if the death is connected to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. We'll, of course, bring you the latest on this developing story as soon as we get it. Right now, though, after an almost non-existent flu season in B.C. last winter, experts are warning influenza could be much more severe this year. And as Kristen Robinson reports, doctors are stressing the importance of vaccines to ward off a twindemic. Public health measures for COVID-19 saw the influenza virus all but vanish last season. But this year, doctors in B.C. fear the flu could return with a vengeance. With more activity in the community, I am quite concerned that we may see a stronger effect of the flu. During the 2020-2021 flu season, the BC Centre for Disease Control says influenza surveillance conducted more than 90,000 tests with just 18 positive results. In 2019-2020, similar tests detected more than 6,600 positive results. Experts say last winter's bans on social gatherings and travel restrictions also worked to stop the flu. They were even more effective at preventing influenza transmission. It may put in people's minds the idea that flu is gone since there was none last year and nothing could be further from the truth. Instead, Dr. Brian Conway warns people don't have the built-up immunity they would have developed during a normal flu season. People will, um, will go to their doctor and be worried that they have flu or COVID. The more people are vaccinated against influenza, the less likely it will be to, to, to cause this, uh, this, level, this level of confusion. With the COVID vaccine not yet approved for kids under 12 in Canada, but the flu vaccine recommended, Dr. Run Goldman says parents should take the shots available since influenza can be much more serious in young children. This is a way they can protect their children from another virus that may cause uh, damage and illness. We don't want to see a twindemic happening in our communities. Especially as BC's vaccine card is allowing us to resume some socialization. And last year we were operating at about 40% or so 
of the normal in terms of the close interpersonal contacts. Right now, we're close to 80%, and some people are back to 100%. So I think uh, vaccination against COVID does not protect you against influenza. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The BC Conservation Service is warning the public about hazards to wildlife after another animal rescue this week. Two conservation officers were dispatched to Yubu on Thursday after an elk got tangled up in a hammock and swing attached to a tree on a beachfront property. They were able to safely free the animal, who took some time to rest after the ordeal. The Conservation Service is reminding homeowners that items which contain netting can be very dangerous to elk and other wildlife. And still ahead, describing it as horrific and surreal, a family speaks out about their ICU experience. That's not okay that we are in this situation where my family, who's done everything right, can't be in a room with my dad. How the unprecedented stress COVID-19 patients are placing in Alberta hospitals is impacting others admitted in the ICU. And do you have mixed vaccine doses? The latest on international talks about what it means for your travel to other countries. Hospitals across Alberta are in a crisis situation with a growing number of COVID-19 cases. An Edmonton woman visiting her father in ICU on the verge of losing his life is sharing her terrifying experience. Chris Khan has more on what she witnessed and why she hopes to never visit again. Debbie Christensen was told she needed to say her final goodbyes to her father, Dave Lowry. The 76-year-old man was admitted into the ICU unit at the Great Nuns Hospital last Saturday following emergency surgery complications unrelated to COVID. He ended up in ICU on life support on a unit with 22 patients, 21 of them being unvaccinated COVID patients. Christensen says she was told he was the only patient on the unit who wasn't COVID positive and was the only patient who was vaccinated. She was also told only one, perhaps two family members could be in the room with him. That's not okay that we are in this situation where my family, who's done everything right, can't be in a room with my dad when we're going to lose him. You're also sitting there wondering that even though he's vaccinated, is he going to be part of that small percentage that actually contracts it and ends up dying from that instead of actually what's had taken him to emergency in the first place. Making her way to the ICU unit for the first time, she didn't know what to expect. The doctors and nurses, they're everywhere. There's so many people on that unit. There's so many people coming in and out of rooms. Rooms are empty, rooms are full. Uh, EMTs coming in and out with stretchers. It's crazy. It's insanity up there. Christensen says the level of abuse and swearing towards staff was surreal. She also says baby monitors were used to see patients put in random rooms. It's a scene doctors say is taking place at hospitals across the province. We have patients, two patients, in ICU rooms designed for one. We have double bunking of patients. We have patients in overflow areas that aren't optimal for ICU. Christensen says her dad managed to improve and was transferred out of the ICU to a recovery unit. As soon as you leave that space, the, the nurses are so concerned for our safety. So they're, you know, standing outside the door with sanitizer and they're telling you to get outside and get some fresh air and to, to get off that floor as fast as you can. Christensen says her dad is still far from well, but she is grateful he is out of ICU, a place she hopes neither of them ever need to return to. Chris Chacon, Global News. Canada's top doctor says active talks are underway with other countries about allowing entry for Canadians with mixed COVID-19 vaccine doses. Theresa Tam says the Public Health Agency of Canada is presenting data to countries like the U.S. on the effectiveness of a mixed-dose schedule. 
the issue isn't with the mRNA vaccines in terms of interchangeability. Is for example, they have not used AstraZeneca vaccine in the United States, and certainly not a mixed dose schedule. Um, and as a result, they don't have um, domestically generated information on that front. Tam says the U.S. is still in the process of deliberation when it comes to accepting mixed doses. Canadians are advised to check on specific country requirements before making any travel plans. And coming up next, the Dragon Boat Festival making a comeback. They're only doing 200 meters because they hadn't been in training for so long. And how the longtime Vancouver event has been forced to pivot because of the pandemic. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. I think we've got a wine there, $25, but we've also got wines that are in the thousands of dollars. The long lineup for the annual Bordeaux wine release and what first comers were able to snatch. We'll get to that in a moment, but first, it was the return of the Dragon Boat in the waters of False Creek this weekend. The Concord Pacific Dragon Boat Festival is back after being cancelled last year and postponed from earlier this year because of the pandemic. It's a championship weekend and organizers say the event was designed with safety in mind, with people being spread out and a vaccine card required to access events. Since it was the first chance for many boaters to compete in the waters in a year and a half, the race course had to be adjusted. Interestingly enough, they, they're only doing 200 meters because they hadn't been in training for so long that they only had from June till now to get trained. So their, their races are quite short. All right, meteorologist Yvonne Shell is here. Seemed like ideal weather for dragon boating today. Certainly won't be the case in about 24 hours. No, very big changes on the way. So if you got out and enjoyed today, I hope you got out and enjoyed today. A very different weather picture and story that we're following for tomorrow. We'll start off with what we're seeing overlooking English Bay. We've got an increase in cloud cover. Temperatures right now sitting at 20 with that mainly cloudy sky and a southeasterly wind closer to 15 kilometers per hour. But it's overnight tonight. Things do start to ramp up. We are looking at a chance of showers, but the heaviest rainfall beginning for tomorrow morning, continuing through the afternoon and leading in towards the evening. So a heads up, umbrella, rain gear, wellies, you'll need it all. We've got very blustery conditions and a cooler day with temperatures just up to 17 degrees. We can see that on the future cast with some of the heaviest rainfall, the oranges and yellows is what we'll anticipate through the day for tomorrow and the following areas with the rainfall warning. Eastern areas along the island, that's from Nanus Bay all the way to Fanny Bay, included within that warning, 15 up to 70 millimeters. How sound and for Central Vancouver right now, it's just along the North Shore Mountains. Central areas include the city of Vancouver, Burnaby, New West, and then that stretches in towards the northeastern regions where we'll see Pitt Meadows and Coquitlam included within that. So it's really the northern half and a few spots along the central regions of Metro Vancouver that will see some of the heaviest rainfall, flash floods, and pooling on the roadways as possible, and paired with very windy conditions. So this storm is going to be packing quite the punch with a southeasterly wind anywhere between 40 and potentially up to 60 kilometers per hour. Now, the north Northern half of the province will see a bit of a break in between systems. Still unsettled for tomorrow with on and off showers, but some of the heaviest rainfall is going to move in through the day on Monday. The instability is there across the central interior with the risk of thunderstorms. 18 and along the southern half of the province, a bit of a transition for the interior where it's a mainly cloudy sky, breezy conditions, a few spots seeing those gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour, but the rain is going to move in and the rain event for the southern interior will be on Monday. Big rain event though and storm 
storm will be for the south coast tomorrow. Well, we'll see it push in, developing in the morning hours, and those winds once again southeasterly, 40 and up to 60 kilometers per hour. We've got a soaker on the way for tomorrow. That looks to be the wettest day out of the bunch so far. Bit of instability. I've left this in. There's lots of uncertainty, but we could even see the risk of thunderstorms on Monday. It's cool and unsettled, feeling very fall-like as we get in towards next week. Neetu? Isn't it ever? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, the early bird managed to get some of the coveted bottles. Cheers as more than 100 people lined up this morning near 41st Avenue and Canby Street to take part in the BC Liquor Store's annual release of highly prized Bordeaux wines at 32 locations this weekend. More than 8,000 cases of the 2018 vintage are being made available to the public from more than 200 chateaus. Several bottles have already sold out. Earlier this month, a portion of the release was also available to an online pre-order system. It's like all great wines in a sense, and it probably is the most famous wine. It comes from a limited region in Bordeaux. There isn't very much of it made, and it's got a historical um, reputation as being great wines that can last. And there's also a range. So I think we've got a wine there, $25, but we've also got wines that are the th- in the thousands of dollars that will sell her for 40 years, 50 years or more. Well, the perfect celebratory drink. Mm, I think it's best to watch us with a glass of Bordeaux <laughs> in hand. Makes it, there you go. Makes it easier to take. <laughs> what do you have coming up? Anything to celebrate in sports? Yeah, uh, sure. The uh, Canucks finished up their training camp in uh, Abbotsford. So we'll have highlights of their uh, second scrimmage of camp coming up. And Justin Morneau, great baseball player at a New Westminster. Uh, former MVP was uh, inducted into the Minnesota Twins Hall of Fame today. We'll hear from him in his uh, very emotional uh, induction speech. I can imagine. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for that, Barry. Also ahead, a monument to honor survivors and victims. So that really resonated for me because <clears throat> my dad went to the Kamloops Residential School. This Indigenous artist planned to carve out a lasting legacy in the form of a 2,500-pound jade memorial. Sometime next year, a permanent monument honoring those who are buried at the unmarked burial sites at the former Kamloops Indian Residential School will be unveiled. Julia Foy has more on the vision that's inspired the artist who's tasked with carving the tribute. And a warning, some of the details in this story may be distressing for some viewers. When I first looked at it, I saw um, this would be the owl's head and having its wing extended here and gathering the child. Carver Darcy Basil is about to transform this 2,500-pound jade boulder into a tribute to the lost children of the Kamloops Residential School. My dad went to the Kamloops Residential School and so um, he told me these stories. That's why it was so hard for me. Um, I wasn't able to work. Darcy wanted to help survivors heal. But it wasn't until he was offered a huge chunk of jade that he had a vision of what it could be. In our culture, the owl represents death, but on the other side of it, the owl represents um, taking your spirit and guiding it to the spirit world. When Darcy traveled to Kamloops for consultation with Tecumloops Tecuswepam, the bands had a similar idea. They photocopied a story about um, the owl um, taking the child because he didn't listen and 
brought him away and raised him. Darcy got his final confirmation when he had an encounter with a bird outside. I went for a walk in the trails and an uh, owl flew by me about a foot in front of my face and turned and dropped a feather for me on the road. This weekend, the public can bid in a silent auction on Granville Island, featuring pieces by Darcy and other local Indigenous artists. It's part of a fundraiser for the year-long challenge of carving stone into a monument. I would love to see a future where we're working in partnership, walking this road of reconciliation together with uh, not just the three nations here, but uh, First Nations people all across Canada, even around the world, which is what uh, Darcy's dream is. Yeah, this is what it looks like in its natural state. Darcy will begin carving next week, just before the first day of truth and reconciliation. He hopes to have it completed before the next one in 2022. Julia Foy, Global News. We know these stories may be triggering for some viewers. If you or someone you know needs support, you can call the number on your screen, 1-866-925-4419. The crisis line operates 24 hours a day. And still ahead, celebrating the Fire Dragon Festival. It's all in the spirit of, of uh, what, what we're having today with uh, the pandemic and COVID-19. How the cultural tradition is making a historic return to Chinatown, next. Don't miss Bard on the Beach's feature film playing online. Watch the world premiere of Done Undone by Kate Bestworth. This provocative and entertaining film is inspired by a vital current question. How well do Shakespeare's plays stand the test of time, and should some of them not be staged anymore? The Vancouver International Film Festival celebrates 40 years of some of the world's best cinema. With comedies, drama, action, and documentaries, this festival is one that will open your eyes, entertain your soul, and touch your heart. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's here for a full look at sports. Another busy weekend. Barry, where do we begin? We're going to start uh, on the ice, as we often do in this country. Thanks, <laughs> Neethu. Uh, Canucks camp wrapped up today in Abbotsford. Nothing new to report on Quinn Hughes or Elias Pettersson on the contract front. Travis Hamanick continues to be out for personal reasons. And with Brandon Sutter trying to figure out physical fatigue issues, the Canucks are down four key pieces. We'll see how long that lasts. The Canucks at camp uh, played another scrimmage today ahead of their first preseason game tomorrow in Spokane against the expansion Seattle Kraken. Nice family atmosphere in Abbotsford this Saturday afternoon. Canucks new goalie Yaroslav Halak in the giving mood, a wayward clearing pass there, picked off by Tanner Pearson, who scores. one nothing Team White. Alex Chason, the former Oiler in Washington Capitol, here on a professional tryout. A big body who can certainly score. I think there's a spot for him on the fourth line. Knocks one in for Team Blue. Nils Hoaglander had an excellent rookie season, and uh, hopefully he follows that up. Powders one home from the slot. White took it 3-1. No word yet on the exact roster playing in Spokane tomorrow. Now a scary moment in the practice afterwards. Uh, Brady Keeper, a defenseman expected to play in Abbotsford this year, severely injured his leg. Players very concerned. Keeper needed to be taken off the ice on a stretcher. Here's Travis Green. Yeah, it's unfortunate. 
uh, for sure. I, I thought his game had gotten better as camp goes on, has gone on these three days, and uh, you never like to see anyone laying down on the ice and get, get carried off in that way. No, no update, no, not at all. As far as cuts go, we don't have a whole lot of extra bodies. Uh, we'll probably get down to one main group and um, have m- more of a B group is what I'm, I'm envisioning right now, especially with a group that has so many new players. Um, you, you know, Everyone wants to play exhibitions, but I think it's vital for, for a team that has as many new guys as we do to, to make sure we're playing a lot of exhibition games. Veteran defenseman Brad Hunt is one of those guys who never seems to have a bad day. He's got a permanent smile on his face, which has been on full display this week at training camp in Abbotsford. Hunt is a local boy from Maple Ridge. He's been in pro hockey for about a decade. This is his sixth NHL team. But being able to play for his hometown team, well, that makes him smile even more. Such a great feeling to to be here and uh, you see your friends, other players leaving for their teams and you get to stay here and play for your hometown team and, and it's, it's, it's something that's really special to have a lot of family and friends around and uh, it's just such a cool vibe around the city. It's, it's, it's going to be awesome. Brad Hunt isn't the most talented player in the NHL, but he might be the most cheerful. He's played just 191 NHL games over seven seasons, which tells you he's got to battle every day just to stay in the lineup. He's in the same situation here in Vancouver, brought in as a depth defenseman who can step in when others struggle or are injured. Not surprisingly, Hunt embraces the challenge. He embraces everything important for your career to have healthy competition and to have nothing given to you as as you grow you it makes you stronger makes you better as a player makes you better as a person and i think we're all going to grow through it and uh, and i think it's something after our careers are done we'll look back on it and it's going to be like something that was really cool like we really battled together for one two positions you can tell just when you talk to him he's he's, he's got a lot of energy in him uh, he's been around the game for a while uh, veteran guy that's that's he's a good defenseman an offensive guy but I think he can play in his own zone as well Hunt had success in his junior hockey career he was part of the Burnaby Express team that won the National Junior A championship way back in 2006 now I remember we had a fellow named Kyle Turris who is an incredible player and we had actually a lot of incredible players on that team and players that I still talk to and there's actually a little WhatsApp group that we have with all the guys on that team and to, to see how everyone's doing through their lives and uh, there are a lot of guys on that team that helped me a lot through my career as well. In case you hadn't noticed, Brad Hunt is a people person and now he's got his closest peeps close to him again. My, for my parents uh, with COVID and everything, they weren't able to see my son as much so they're ha- happy to see their grandson a lot. and. Uh, it's yeah it's like I said it's special it's uh not too many times you get to play for a team that you grew up watching um so I just want to take the opportunity and run with it and uh hopefully be here for a long time uh Maple Ridge's Tyler or the Whitecaps rather really need the full three points tonight at BC Place taking on FC Dallas a team that is below them in the standings a win in the Whitecaps would be just three points out of the final playoff spot and the clock is ticking Counting tonight, just 10 more regular season games left. You can hear the broadcast on AM 730. We'll have highlights tonight at 11. Maple Ridge's Tyler O'Neill continues to rip the cover off the ball for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, we profiled O'Neill earlier this year when he got off to a great start. After the story ran, he promptly went a month without hitting a home run, which we chalked up to the old global sports curse. But he has reversed the curse this September, thankfully, hitting 11 homers, and he hit another today 
today to extend the Cardinals' win streak to a whopping 15 games. At age 26, this has been O'Neill's first crack as an everyday player, and uh, he's just been absolutely awesome. He's uh, built like a bodybuilder, explosive power, and he launched his 32nd homer of the year today at Wrigley, 76 RBI. That's a great year for O'Neill. Cards won their 15th straight, 8-5 over the Cubs, and they have pretty much clinched the second wild card in the National League. Speaking of great Canadian major leaguers, New Westminster's Justin Morneau, who won an American League MVP with the Twins back in 2006, was inducted into the Twins Hall of Fame today. He played parts of 14 major league seasons, all but three of them in Minnesota, but it all started back in New West as a kid. I grew up in New Westminster, British Columbia. Not exactly a baseball hotbed. Hockey's the number one sport. Lacrosse is the number two sport. And all my friends that played lacrosse growing up made fun of me because I played baseball. I think I got the last laugh. Dad. Thank you for all the batting practice. You always had time to throw to me when I wanted to hit. There was not really enough hours of the day for how much I wanted to hit. We rode this roller coaster together. You listen to the games on the radio, through the internet, back before anything was on TV, and you knew if I popped out to second that I probably pulled my front shoulder. And then you would call me and let me know about it. You were my first and last hitting coach. I thank you for our time together. I hope I have that with my son one day. A great moment for the Mornos. Meanwhile, the Blue Jays have had a tough week. Three straight losses, four of five they've lost. are now two out in the last wild card spot with just eight to go, trying to beat the Twins tonight. What a catch there by George Springer. Twins did get a sack fly run out of it, but he saved a run as well, so just one nothing. And then Teoscar Hernandez launches one to dead center. 31st homer of the year for Teoscar, 111 RBI to lead the team. And the Jays now lead it 2-1 in the sixth. Meanwhile, at Fenway Park, Victoria's Nick Pavetta starting for the Red Sox. What a day he had under the pressure of a playoff race. Struck out seven Yankees over five and a third, including striking out the side in the fifth. Left the game in position to win, but the Red Sox bullpen couldn't hold the lead. Giancarlo Stanton with a grand slam in the eighth. Yanks win 5-3, their fifth straight. So now Boston and New York tied for the two wild card spots. Jays need to win to stay two games back of both of those teams. And we'll finish with day two of the Ryder Cup. Look at Paul Casey getting into the uh, spirit with some Europe supporters, but nothing to celebrate so far for Europe. Down 9-3 after the U.S. took three of four points for the third straight session this morning. Europe needed a big afternoon. John Rahm has been money, has yet to lose. Uh, Sergio Garcia in awe of his uh, Spanish teammate. Shane Lowry at 18 needed to make a 10-footer to get a full point for Europe and the big Irishman with the clutch putt. He is all jacked up, but uh, the Americans respond. Colin Morikawa, long birdie here, closes out their match against Poulter and McElroy. Rory is 0-3 this week. The USA with a big lead, 11-5 after two days. They need just three and a half points out of the 12 singles matches tomorrow. 
to win back the Ryder Cup. Europe has dominated this uh, competition. They've won seven of the last nine, but it looks like it's going to be USA OK tomorrow. All right. Let's hope for that for those fans who are hoping for that as well. <laughs> That's right. If you're cheering for the <laughs> We're fingers crossed for you. Thanks, Barry. And coming up, what you can expect from the inaugural Fire Dragon Festival happening in Vancouver's Chinatown this weekend. Stay with us. Vancouver's Chinatown is hosting the first annual Fire Dragon Festival this weekend, and it includes reviving a tradition not seen in the city since the 1970s. The event celebrates and promotes Chinatown's cultural heritage with family fun activities, live performances, food, and a chance to meet the fire dragon. Volunteers built a 10-meter-long fire dragon made of straw, hay, and burning incense, which is on display in the courtyard of the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden and Chinese Cultural Center. The fire dragon is making a historic return to Chinatown after first appearing in 1975. The dragon is part of a 140-year uh, tradition that comes out of Hong Kong, where a village uh, had a pandemic, and uh, to save the village, they uh, lit the fire dragon to, uh, to ward the bad uh, spirits away. It's all in the spirit of, of uh, what, what we're having today with uh, the pandemic and COVID-19. The awakening of the fire dragon will take place at 7 this evening, so coming up here in just two minutes, with an eye-dotting ceremony. Visitors will be invited to insert lit incense into the dragon to bring good fortune as the fall harvest season begins. Wow, beautiful. Great to see that continuing. And... Does this season ever bring <laughs> some weather? <laughs> yeah, our first real big fall storm right on cue for tomorrow. So a heads up, a significant amount of rain, heavy at times, 15 up to 70 millimeters, paired with very windy conditions. It's going to be a gusty one for tomorrow and unsettled and wet into next week. Yikes. Okay, enjoy it while you can for the rest of the evening, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Have a great night. Nice.